everybody and welcome to another episode of JTV. I'm really excited about today's interview. This is really fascinating. A friend of mine put me in touch uh, with our guest for today who is Zev Orenstein and he's the Director of International Affairs at the City of David. Zev, let's just jump right in. What can you tell our viewers, for those who don't know, what is the City of David? What's your job? What are you guys all about and what are you trying to achieve? A lot of questions. I'll start with the first one. What is the city of David or where is the city of David? I imagine everyone watching this has heard of Jerusalem, uh, heard of people like King David. Uh, and when most people imagine Jerusalem, if they close their eyes and you say, what comes to mind? They'll say, well, the old city of Jerusalem, maybe the Kotel, the Western Wall. Uh, but it turns out that, you know, up until 150 years ago, when everyone thought, where is the original biblical city of Jerusalem, the city of David? Everyone imagined the wrong place. Everyone imagined that it was, in fact, the old city, except uh, here's a little secret. Uh, Jerusalem, in this book, the Bible or the Tanakh, uh, in this book, King David was never in the old city. King Solomon was never in the old city. Hezekiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they were never in the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, in the Tanakh, in the Bible, when it speaks of Jerusalem, uh, it's not referring to the old city. It's referring to the city of David. Now, the reason uh, that we know where the city of David is today, which is just outside the old city to the south of the Temple Mount, is thanks to you guys, to England, uh, to Queen Victoria back in 1867, when she wants to discover the treasures of the Bible, like the Ark of the Covenant. She sends a man by the name of Captain Charles Warren to the land of Israel. He comes to Jerusalem. He wants to excavate on the Temple Mount, the biblical Mount Moriah, the site where the binding of Isaac took place, the site where the two temples stood, except the Ottomans, the Muslims at that time said, Charles, that's not going to happen. Uh, and so Charles Warren, he's not able to excavate on the Temple Mount. So he goes just south of the Temple Mount, uh, comes down to a largely barren 11 acre ridge. And uh, without going into all the details now, he comes up with a theory that the original biblical city of Jerusalem, the city of David, the place where Jerusalem began, is outside the old city. And everyone says, Charles, you're crazy. It can't be. There's nothing here. It has to be the old city. And he says, I'm telling you, this is the spot. And over the next 150 years, the city of David becomes one of the most archaeologically excavated sites in the world, the most excavated site in Israel. And today everyone knows that biblical Jerusalem, the city of David, is located not inside the walls of the old city, but just outside. So where, where exactly just outside? So if, if you go outside, for those who are familiar with the old city, outside of Dungate, uh, right next to the Western Wall, just south of the Temple Mount, that's where the city of David is, literally right next to uh, the Temple Mount, right next to the old city walls coming from the south. Wow, that's fascinating. So I'm glad that England had a bit of a role in uh, figuring these things out. But um, tell me, what are some of the archaeological discoveries that you guys have found? Um, and, and how long have you been involved in this for? So I've personally been involved with the city of David for the last uh, seven years or so. Uh, excavations have been going on here for the last 150 years. Uh, and over that time, we've only excavated one third of the site of the city of David. And the reason for that is uh, that today the city of David is a modern neighborhood. It is a mixed Jewish Arab neighborhood. And so you have people living there, which makes uh, excavating a bit more challenging than uh, uh, you would normally uh, expect in an archeological excavation. Uh, but among the things that are found, uh, it's really an amazing thing where you can walk 
through the city of David with a Bible in one hand, and you see the discoveries in another. We're talking about, uh, for instance, ancient seals with the names of biblical figures that appear in the pages of the Bible. We're talking about inscriptions that affirm events that took place in the Bible. I just give you one example. About five years ago, there was a seal that was uncovered uh, in one of the excavations right next to the city of David. Uh, and the name on that seal dating back some 2,700 years is Chizkiyahu ben Achaz, Melech Yehuda, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah. The oh. biblical Chizkiyahu Melech, the biblical king Hezekiah, direct descendant of King David, a seal bearing his personal name was found uh, dating back 2,700 years ago in the city of David, if anyone's visited, they almost certainly walked through uh, the water tunnel, which we're famous for. Now this water tunnel, yes, it's fun, but what makes it special is an inscription that was found inside this tunnel, also dating back 2,700 years, telling the story of the engineers that were working for King Hezekiah, who engineered a 533 meter long water tunnel to protect and save Jerusalem from the Assyrian siege 2,700 years ago. So we have the seal of King Hezekiah, we have the tunnel that he engineered, uh, and we have so many other things like that that just allow a person to say, here's what the Bible says, here's what the Tanakh says, here's what the archeology span is finding, and it matches, literally, word for word. Uh, here's the event, here's the discovery, here's what it says inside the Tanakh, and, and that's really an incredible thing because you have today, whether it's in the United Nations or elsewhere with the Palestinians, who they are saying that Jerusalem is largely, uh, pretty much exclusively Islamic. The Temple Mount is just Islamic. The Western Wall, just Islamic. Uh, there is no Jewish heritage, no biblical heritage in Jerusalem. And every day in the archaeological excavations taking place in the city of David, one is able to see not simply as a matter of faith, but as a matter of fact, the connection of the Jewish people going back to Jerusalem for thousands and thousands of years. And you're telling me you, you get people or organizations, and I, I've been doing a bit of research into this, including, I think I understand, like UNESCO and, and the United Nations, who are genuinely with a, with a, with a serious face <laughs> trying <laughs> to deny the Jewish connection to Jerusalem. What, what do they say to, to, to refute these, and, and, and how do you respond? Well, here's an amazing thing. I've been privileged over the years to host many United Nations ambassadors and UNESCO ambassadors in the city of David and showing them these discoveries and these excavations. And not once has any, have any of them, and these are countries, ambassadors for countries who, who supported these resolutions, not once did any of them ever say to me, well, these are lies, it's not true. They all know it's true. Uh, simply put, it's uh, sadly, it's politics, uh, that uh, there are a lot of political considerations when it comes to votes like these. And just to give you one anecdote, uh, in, back I think it was in 2016, uh, when the first of these resolutions was happening and the, uh, UNE the ambassador for Mexico to UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, whose, ho whose whole purpose is to protect essentially the, the heritage of, of humanity, uh, you'd think that they would wanna protect and preserve Jerusalem's heritage. So they put out this resolution saying that Jerusalem is exclusively Islamic in terms of its significance for the holy places. And so this ambassador turns to his foreign office and says, well, what are my instructions? How am I supposed to vote on this resolution? Now, keep in mind, Mexico is a very Christian, it's a Catholic country. So he was very surprised when the instructions he was given was to vote in favor of a resolution denying Jerusalem's biblical heritage, which doesn't only undermine the Jewish connection to Jerusalem, but also of course undermines the Christian connection to Jerusalem. 
So he says, but it's not true. How can we vote in favor of a resolution that is historically not true? And they said, well, vote for this resolution. And he did something uh, which clearly made him unfit to be United Nations ambassador. Uh, he stood up for truth and he did not vote in favor of the resolution. And the next day, what was he doing? He was looking for a job. Wow. And all his colleagues, these other ambassadors, they see what happens to someone who stands up for truth. They like being ambassadors. And so they're not going to uh, you know, make the same mistake that he did. And so they vote in favor of these resolutions, even though none of them actually believe it. I I've gotten to guide uh, uh, you know, unofficially leaders from Muslim countries in the region. And they come also and they, they acknowledge you know, off the record, of course, that they know that, that the Jewish people have uh, history and connection to Jerusalem going back thousands of years. But again, due to religious considerations, political considerations, uh, they're not always able to say uh, what, what most people know to be true. And, and hopefully uh, in the spirit of the last year or so with the Abraham Accords, maybe that will be slowly begin to change here in the region. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I am hopeful. I am hopeful. Um, so, so hold on. So if the city of David, does, does the Temple Mount not count as part of that? So the Temple Mount is the crown of Jerusalem. That in ancient times, what was Jerusalem? It was the, the ridge just beneath the Temple Mount. And the Temple Mount was the top. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, was revolutionary in terms of the Bible and what it introduced to the world was if you would go to ancient Babylon, ancient Egypt, the king or the pharaoh, they were like the god. They could do no wrong. They were all powerful, all knowing. And one of the things that, that the Bible, the Torah makes very clear to the king is that you may be the king, but there is someone above you and that's God. And therefore, wherever the king's palace might be at the top of the city of David, when the king looked out his window, what did he see above him? He saw God's home. He saw the Beit HaMikdash. He saw the temple. He knew that he was answerable to a power above him, which was Hashem, which was God. Uh, and, and so the, if you imagine Jerusalem as a hill, uh, a slope, so you have the city of David on that slope, and at the top of the slope, at the top of the hill is Mount Moriah, Har Moriah, or the Temple Mount, Harabayit, which is where the temple stood. Uh, and so, yes, the, the, basically Jerusalem in biblical times was largely the city of David and the Temple Mount together. And do we, do, I mean, do we know uh, where uh, King David's palace would have been? Would it have been particularly grand or not so grand? What, what do we know about it? So one of the most exciting, uh, and I would say uh, exciting from the perspective, both in terms of the significance of the discovery, but also the debate that, that it ensued as a result of this discovery was in 2005, world-renowned archeologist, Dr. Eilat Mazar, came into our visitor center and told us that we needed to move our offices. We asked her why. She said, beneath your feet, you will find the palace of King David. Now, that's a bold statement. We end up moving our offices. She digs down together with the Israel Antiquities Authority and they find massive walls, more than eight meters thick, uh, belonging to a monumental structure dating back some 3000 years. Of course, 3000 years ago is the time of King David. Now the debate amongst archeologists is, was this the palace of King David or does this palace date to about hundred years after David? What is clear is that this was the royal government center of the Davidic dynasty. Now we have yet to find a sign saying, welcome to King David's palace. Maybe one day as we continue the excavation, we will find uh, something 
making it crystal clear that David lived there. Uh, but it is clear that uh, this was a this this the source of rule for the Davidic dynasty and quite possibly uh, for King David himself. But we know with absolute certainty, again, as King David never visited the old city, never visited the Western Wall. Uh, those things did not exist in the time of David. The Western Wall that we know today is about a thousand years after King David. So the Bible recounts where was King David in Jerusalem? He was in the city of David, which means that his palace was somewhere in the city of David and quite likely the one that we've discovered uh, back in 2005. Right. And would it have been a similar kind of palace to other, other palace, other sort of royal palaces of ancient times, or would it have been something a bit less grand? What, what, do, do we know much I about think, that? I think it was more modest. I mean, Jerusalem, uh, during the time of, of David and Solomon, you're talking about a population probably of about 5,000 people, maybe. Uh, what made Jerusalem uh, unique and singular uh, in the world was not the uh, architecture, was not its size, was not its power, was not how many soldiers it had or how many people living there. Uh, really, what's made Jerusalem uh, timeless and so significant uh, over thousands of years is the wisdom, is the values that came out of Jerusalem. Uh, in a certain sense, the, the Torah, the, 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 the values of, of the Jewish people of our faith that have come out of Jerusalem, which have impacted uh, billions of people around the world. There's not a single civilization in the world today that has not heard of King David, that has not heard of Jerusalem, that has not been touched in some way by the values uh, that came out of Jerusalem. And so what made Jerusalem special was not, you know, what did the king's palace look like? Although certainly, uh, you know, the Temple of Solomon and also the temple during the time of Herod uh, were magnificent structures, but that's not really what made Jerusalem special. Uh, what made Jerusalem special was was really uh, the wisdom, our faith, our heritage uh, that that has for thousands of years been trying to make the world a, a better place, a, a place uh, that recognizes that that we're all created in the image of God, that we all have a responsibility uh, to how we treat others and also how we relate to to God, that that there is a certain sense of uh, accountability uh, to our fellow man and to God. And all those things came from Jerusalem. Absolutely. And I think that that is the story of the Jewish people. That's why, you know, God says, I chose you not because of your size and your might. And it's why God chose the smallest of the mountains to, to deliver the Torah, because God is trying to say to us um, that physical might isn't where you find him. And it's in the still small voice. And, and that's and that's what it means to be in God's image. It's to be it's not about uh, dominance and dominating others. It's about actually making space for others. What's, what's amazing about that is when you think of the the empires who built all the big monuments and had the huge palaces. So you could go to the Colosseum in Rome and you can see the pyramids in Egypt. But where are the pharaohs today? Where's the great Roman Empire today? And the answer is museums and history books with some monuments left behind. And yet the Jewish people were still here. Uh, our heritage, our, our traditions, our teachings uh, are still very, as relevant today as they were thousands of years ago. Uh, and, and really Western civilization has been built largely on, on the heritage of, of the Bible, of, of our faith. Okay. And, and that's something that is the greatest uh, monument of all. And, and that uh, has long endured past the Greeks and the Romans and the Persians and the Babylonians uh, and, and our, 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 our power uh, coming from our ideals and our values and our faith, which we seek to share with the world, that, that uh, is, is enduring. And can you talk a bit about the city of David and its influence in inspiring uh, Western civilization? 
So if you, if you think of Western civilization and, and what people call the Judeo-Christian heritage, so it's really an amazing thing. In 2004, at the southern end of the city of David, uh, there's a road. And in our, in our faith, we have a teaching, which is God has many messengers. Now, in this case, the messenger was a busted sewage pipe. Because what happens is that there's a sewage pipe beneath the road. It explodes. Now, the municipality has to send in construction crews to repair the sewage pipe. But this, the Jerusalem is not just any municipality. And the city of David is not just another part of Jerusalem. And so you don't only send in construction crews. You also have to send in archaeologists. And... The archaeologists are overseeing the construction. They hear the, the bulldozers and dump trucks doing their work. They hear scraping and scratching. It doesn't sound right. They clear everyone out. And it turns out that in repairing the sewage pipe, they had uncovered a series of ancient stone steps dating back some 2,000 years. And they realized they had uncovered the steps leading down to the ancient Rechata Shiloach, to the Shiloach pool or the Pool of Siloam. Now the Pool of Siloam has deep significance for Christians, but for the Jewish people in the Tanakh, it tells us that there are three times a year where all of Israel has to go up to the Beit HaMikdash, to the temple. We're talking about Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Now before you can go up to the Beit HaMikdash, you need to purify, you need to go to a mikvah to cleanse. The historian Josephus says that, say, on Pesach, on Passover, 2,000 years ago, you would have had nearly 3 million people going up on pilgrimage to the temple. That's a lot of people. The pool of Siloam, Brechat Shiloach, is the size of two Olympic-sized swimming pools. Wow. That pool has been discovered in the city of David. It's being excavated. And then the archaeologist said, well, if we know where the, the, the Shiloach pool is, and we know where the Beit HaMikdash, where the temple stood on the Temple Mount, about... 700 meters up from the pool, about half a mile. So they said, how did everyone get from the pool up to the Beit HaMikdash, up to the temple? They widened the excavation. And what they found and what's being excavated as we speak is perhaps one of the greatest archeological discoveries of the last century. They discovered the pilgrimage road, the very road that our ancestors, yours and mine, walked on 2000 years ago when our ancestors went up on pilgrimage to the temple, to the Beit HaMikdash, the actual road with the actual flagstones, the very place where they were uh, laid 2,000 years ago. It's not that the archeologists came and put them there uh, today. It's the actual road. Uh, and the road itself is probably about, uh, about 10 to 15 meters wide. It's a very, very wide road. We're only excavating a narrow portion of it north-south right now. And in a few years time, people will be able to literally walk in the footsteps uh, of, of the Bible in a certain sense. I mean, I've been asked by world leaders, well, did Jesus walk on this road? And I said, well, Jesus 2000 years ago, he was Jewish. He would have gone with all the other Jews to the pool of Siloam to purify, then gone up along the pilgrimage road in the city of David, all the way up to the Beit HaMikdash, to the temple. The Shiloach pool in the city of David, we know is 100% the Shiloach pool. The pilgrimage road is 100% the pilgrimage road. And the Temple Mount is 100% the Temple Mount. It's all real. You could see it. You could touch it, literally walking in the footsteps of our ancestors. And this has significance, not just to the Jewish people, uh, but to Christians as well. You're talking about, uh, you know, a half mile that I think is the most significant half mile in the world because there's no place in the world that has more significance to more people than that half mile stretch from the Pool of Siloam in the city of David all the way up to the Temple Mount. And all of this is underground. Uh, the pool is outside. Most of the pilgrimage road today is underground with the neighborhood above. 
And then when you come out by the Temple Mount, that's outside again. But again, that's one of the exciting things about the city of David is, is you have to balance the ancient and the modern. We have to respect the people who are living in the neighborhood today, while at the same time making the heritage and the history that's below, that has significance to billions of people accessible. And that's one of the complexities and challenges that we have in Jerusalem. But I think it's also one of the beautiful things that Jerusalem, the city of David, is alive. There are people living there today. It's a beautiful thing. It's not a relic from the past that once upon a time, these things happened. You don't know the city of David is alive today and its history and heritage that we're uncovering is part of that story. And what's happening in the city of David today is also part of that story. Uh, the way I view it <clears throat> are discoveries like the pilgrimage road. Uh, it's not just a piece of history, but our uncovering it and making it accessible is the continuation of a story, our shared story in Jerusalem, which is very much alive. Because when you visit Egypt, when you visit Rome, the story goes once upon a time, and there's a beginning of that story, and there's an end of that story. But when you come to Jerusalem, there is a beginning to the story, but there is no end yet. And therefore, everything we're uncovering in Jerusalem, the people who are visiting, the people who are going to walk on the pilgrimage road, are the descendants of the same people who walked on it thousands of years ago, worshiping the same God, speaking the same language, having the same customs, traditions, and festivals as their ancestors did thousands of years ago. And virtually no one else can say such a thing. Virtually no one else has such a thing like we have here in the city of David. Well, this is absolutely incredible. And I think when I go to Israel, I'd love to uh, meet you in person and see some of these in, uh, for real life. Do you, I mean, do you do uh, tours for anyone who wishes to see these things or is it, is it uh, sort of off, off limits at the moment? Well, so, so in, in 2019, the city of David hosted over 1 million people. It's one of the most visited sites in Israel. Uh, certain excavations like the Pilgrimage Road are not yet open to the public uh, because uh, they're an active excavation. But what I can tell you, uh, next time you're in Jerusalem, I will make sure to uh, get you access uh, and get you a little bit of a behind the scenes experience into some of these excavations that are uh, making history and also uncovering history. Well, absolutely. I mean, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And to me, this is very, it's very exciting. It's, 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 it's messianic, really, because, um, you know, this is what we we're told would happen, things, how things would unfold. Um, so, I mean, the last question I want to ask in, in relation to that is, what about the vessels of the temple? Would you expect to find them in the city of David or would they only be sort of directly under the Temple Mount? And have, and have you found any uh, vessels of um, the Beit HaMikdash? Well, the closest thing I would say that we've come to finding something related to the temple is in the drainage channel beneath the pilgrimage road. About a decade ago, archaeologists found a small golden bell. And the golden bell is in the shape of a pomegranate. Now, if you're familiar with uh, the book of Exodus, when it describes the, the, the garments of the high priest, it mentions that on the hem of his robe are small golden bells in the shape of a pomegranate. And so archeologists believe that perhaps this small golden bell actually uh, came from the robe of the high priest, that it, it fell off the robe at some point walking along the pilgrimage road and was found down in the drainage channel below. In the same excavation, archeologists found a small etching of a menorah. It's one of the earliest etchings of a menorah ever discovered, dating back some 2,000 years, perhaps etched by someone who maybe had seen the menorah uh, in the Beit HaMikdash himself. And so while we have not found the treasures like the menorah or the Ark of the Covenant or 
uh, any of the others, uh, as far as as for where they may be, they quite likely, um, you know, were taken away, whether by the Babylonians or by the Romans at some point. Uh, the Ark itself, uh, we know, was hidden away during the time of King Josiah, Yoshiao. Uh, is it still hidden beneath the Temple Mount or, or somewhere nearby? It's, it's quite possible, uh, but that is still a mystery that uh, we're going to have to wait a little bit longer to uh, to solve. Well, I believe um, at the at the deemed time, uh, God uh, will lead you to, uh, to to find these things, and um, I think it's just for anyone that's paying attention to this and to what the City of David are doing, um, it's incredibly exciting. It should give us a sense of hope, a sense of possibility, and and uh, and that that that. Uh, as, as, as the Jewish people's story should attest anyway, um, there's something very obviously divine uh, going on that is very hard to ignore. So, um, Zev, thank you so much for your time. It was a real pleasure to meet you. Um, let's do this again sometime when we learn about some new discoveries. We'd love to do that. And um, Hatzlacha with all your work. Thank you. Thank you.